Hello and welcome to the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Sillis. On this show, we aim to interview leaders from a range of performance disciplines within the tactical performance space to help you improve performance at the individual and organizational level. Now, here we are, guys, on episode 50. I'm really pleased to actually hit this milestone. Um, it's been great to sit down and chat with so many awesome guests over the past few months and just hear their stories and what they're doing within the tactical space. Also want to say a big thank you to all you guys out there who have helped and supported the show over the last few months. Um, you know, with regards to downloading, with sharing it throughout your community and for your networks, it's it's just been fantastic to see this show continue to grow. Um, this is going to be the last show for this is going to be the last episode for season three. And we're going to take a short break until the start of October. We'll be back for season four where we are already lining up some really great guests uh, for the next season coming up. In the meantime, guys, you know, you can go back. We've got a great back catalog of some really, really uh, incredible guests throughout season one, two, and three. So I'd say definitely go back and check out any of those episodes in there. Please continue to support the podcast by sharing this out throughout your networks. And please leave us a review. Um, it's going to help us jump up the, the ratings list on iTunes and Spotify. Um, and compete with some of the other bigger podcasts out there and really help get this message across. Also, check us out at monarchhumanperformance.com just for some of our uh, articles on our blog, as well as our shop on there as well, just regarding some of the programs we're starting to write and place up there. And for the guys in the UK who are interested in sharing some of their knowledge and networking a little bit more, please check out the Tackle Performance Training Group UK on Facebook as well, um, just so we can help to network a little bit closer together, guys, and really get the, the information out throughout the UK. Now, for episode 50, I get to sit down and chat with Jim McDonald, who's a professional strength conditioning coach with 18 years of experience, and he's spent the last six years as a career firefighter. He graduated from Iowa State University in 2005 with his bachelor's in sports and exercise science with a minor in Spanish. He holds certifications in personal training, strength conditioning, and tactical strength conditioning from the NSCA. He's also a professional member of the National Strength Conditioning Association and serves as the advisory board member for the state of Colorado. His mission and goal is to help affect positive change in the fire service by using his passion and experience in strength conditioning to help educate and spread knowledge of health, wellness, and strength conditioning to tackle in the fire community. He currently writes, presents, and is a frequent guest on podcasts to help educate and spread his passion for the industry. In this episode, me and Jim talk about his varied career from performance sport, corporate wellness, and to the fire service, the biggest errors he sees in firefighters' training programs, and how he's creating change within the fire departments. Good afternoon, Jim, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. No problem, mate. Thank you very much, first of all, you know, just for reaching out and connecting over uh, LinkedIn with me, dude. It's been great chatting to you. You can get to know you a bit off air, um, you know, and your, your background, which is very, very diverse as well, coming into this space. For anyone who hasn't come across you, Jim, and, you know, the work you are doing, can you just give us a little bit of a, you know, background of where your career started out and where you're currently at? Uh, yeah, so I started in strength and conditioning, um, at Iowa State University, I went there um, for my bachelor's, uh, worked with the football team there for three years, um, and then kind of been in the strength and conditioning industry for about 18 years. Um, I worked with a couple different major league baseball teams, volunteered in the NFL, worked in, you know, physical therapy clinic, 
as an assistant for a few years, thinking about going into physical therapy, um, some private sector work with strength and conditioning and personal training. And then um, and I got out of strength and conditioning, so to speak, as like a full-time job and broke into the corporate world in management leadership. And uh, I never got out of strength and conditioning. It kind of just followed me because it's just a passion and something that I love. So um, I got into corporate wellness as well. And then uh, the last five years, I've been a career firefighter and I've been in fire for the last seven and uh, just trying to help out the fire community. A lot of education um, and, and teaching and training is kind of where I am in my quote, strength and conditioning career. Mm -hmm. um, that's a, a quick overview of, I guess, the last 18 years of what I've been doing. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, like I say, it's it's a very, very diverse uh, guy going from college sector into, uh, as you put it, the, the corporate wellness sector now into the tactical working as a firefighter as well. Um, you know, what, where did the interest initially come within strength and conditioning? Where, you know, um, did you grow up uh, into the, the weightlifting side of things or something you got into a little bit older in life? Yeah, I mean, I started lifting weights in middle school, um, just something that I I enjoyed and liked, um, you know, reading the magazines, obviously, you know, Arnold and bodybuilding and all that kind of stuff. So that was kind of my introduction into that. And then, you know, playing sports, I grew up racing motocross, played football in high school and basketball and track and kind of tried all the sports. Um, and then in college, uh, I just trained a lot. And I just changed my major actually from engineering over to exercise sports science just because I loved it so much. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of how I got started, I guess. <laughs> Fair enough, dude. And then what was it like, uh, you know, getting that first gig, especially within football at the division one level there? Because obviously Iowa State, I was always going to be a big, big wrestling uh, town, well, big wrestling state for sports wise. So obviously the football team still, still a big, big deal over in Iowa as well. Yeah, I mean, it was it was great. I was, you know, working, um, going through school and just going into the weight room every day and talking to the strength coaches and just basically kind of being a, a pain in their butt and a pest because I was always there just volunteering and working um, and kind of just was like, hey, you're you're always here. Like, do you, you just want to help us out? Uh, and that was really how it started. Uh, and just was was blessed and lucky to be able to work with them um, and learn a lot, obviously, in the time that I had spent there. I worked with a lot of, you know, all the athletes and the, the other support staff and just, it was just a great experience all around. Um, and, uh, you know, after I graduated, I, I had moved on and, and, you know, tried to get into uh, other sports and try and move up, so to speak, um, mm -hmm. in strength and conditioning to, uh, you know, other uh, sports and also other, you know, career aspirations as far as, you know, moving from an assistant to a head strength coach and all the other aspirations that I had to kind of grow my career and, and learn and keep moving. Um, so it was, it was a good experience. I loved it. I got to work with a lot of other athletes, but mainly football. Um, and yeah, I was definitely known for, for wrestling um 
and I didn't really work with the the wrestling team a whole lot. They have obviously a lot of it's not as big as football, I guess, in, in the Big 12 and Division One, but I mean, they have their own strength staff and, and support staff as well. So, um, but it was an awesome experience. I enjoyed a lot, a, a lot. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. obviously I know in terms of uh, like the college sector, the revenue sports tend to be football and basketball, that sort of thing. But obviously Iowa is always going to be a huge draw for wrestling. So surely that's the anomaly I'm guessing within Iowa is just wrestling. It's just such a big, big draw for the people. Yeah. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's just, I mean, being born and raised in Iowa, it's just something that um, it's just there. It's part of the culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the universities, um, you know, obviously, like you said, football and basketball, um, the big revenue builders, but it's still a huge uh, attraction and cultural thing in the Midwest for sure. So, definitely, man. I mean, I'm see you were saying you went from college into pro baseball as well. Did you say you're working within that field too? Yeah, I worked in in professional minor league and major league baseball for for a couple of seasons as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that was a just a change. It's you know, working with different athletes is still strength and conditioning, obviously a different focus with it being such a long season um, and the training in season, you know, all that's different, much different than football, obviously. Um, but it was a good transition. Um, and I enjoyed my, my, I guess, short career in, in that. Um, but that was by choice as well. Um, but uh great learning experience. Again, I got to work with some awesome people, athletes, support staff, doctors, coaches, you know, all that. It was an amazing experience and I'm super thankful for it. Um, And at the end of the day, I just wanted something that was a little bit more, uh, less traveling, you know, less on the go. And uh, at that point, I was starting to to focus more on family as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was really hard um, for the type of family atmosphere and life that I wanted being in sports, whether it was collegiate or professional sports as a strength coach, uh, you can make it happen. Um, you know, obviously a lot of people do, but it just wasn't something that I personally wanted to to keep doing, I guess. So definitely, definitely. And I say it a lot to young strength coaches and that, that I've helped mentor and that as well as like you know it's great to, to focus on your career goals and to chase these big programs with these big uh, you know job opportunities but at the end of the day <clears throat> you've got to consider as well it's not just you as you get older on you know you've got your, your wife a family you know or a husband whatever it is you know you've got going on just like you've got to count them in as well and they've got to be on board for the journey as well because it's quite a nomadic life you live as a strength coach going from program to program and stuff as well so yeah I can understand wholeheartedly why you, you know you started to think right i want to spend more time at home especially with baseball being on the road so much too so was that the the big driver for you then jim just to step away from more of the performance sports side of things and move more into corporate wellness yeah um it, it was really hard <laughs> for for to like mentally wrap my head around like you know this is what I've done. This is what I went to school for. This is what I dreamed about doing and I'm, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really hard for me to like, quote, walk away from a, 
like obtaining the quote dream, right? Like, so, but like you said, the, the other stuff that I was wanting and, and thinking about for the future, um, it was the right decision for, for me to get out of collegiate and professional sports as a strength and conditioning coach. So that's how I, I just basically kind of moved out of strength and conditioning and got a job in, in corporate America in management leadership. And then uh, that's how I kind of just got into corporate wellness, so to speak. So I worked for, um, which was another funny story. So I, I went from strength and conditioning and professional sports, and I started working for a, a potato chip company, which I'm sure you know, Frito-Lay. So, you know, huge worldwide company. Um, and the, when I went to interview my my boss that interviewed me, the plant manager was like, why do you, why do you want to go from working in professional sports to working for basically a snack food or a junk food company? Like, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> so when I started talking to him about, you know, the kind of, uh, I guess, nomadic life kind of you had brought up of mm-hmm. just, you know, being on the go all the time and wanting more security um, financially, um, benefits, uh, you know, retirement, all the stuff that strength and conditioning, um, you know, it, it's getting better, but it still lacks in my opinion. Um, so he, he kind of understood from that way. And then obviously being a strength coach, you you know, a lot of people maybe not think about the managerial aspect of it, but, you know, you have multiple teams sometimes at the college level, obviously um, you, you're managing programs for multiple people, you know, so going from managing, you know, 30 or 40 players um, on a professional team, whether and, and in football, you know, you have a roster of, you know, 90 or whatever. So you're managing a lot of things other than just strength training. So um, it was kind of an easy transition, so to speak, to go from that into, you know, corporate management and leadership. Um, and then while I was there, you know, you can, you could talk about the corporate athlete, so to speak. Um, you know, these these people that are working on the production lines are doing repetitive motions um, for, you know, eight or 10, 12 hour shifts. Um, so we had a lot of injuries and work comp related stuff. Um, and then obviously with my background in strength and conditioning, physical therapy, that kind of thing. Um, I started working with the plant manager and basically just not really thinking about it we basically made you know a, a corporate wellness program with a a pt uh, company in the area and you know over the next few years we basically just made a you know holistic you know whole whole approach to corporate wellness um, to reduce injuries save money um, and you know try and keep the employees healthy and happy so it wasn't really planned out it just you know, kind of happened. So that's interesting because, like you say, there you're your hiring manager. There it was just like you are very much an anomaly going from performance sport into corporate wellness. Yeah, more people would take more of a more of a direct route, I think, from college into that sort of sector as well, and not have that such a you know mixed and defined um, performance background that you have and quite a unique skill set as well, dude. So. How did you try and bring your skills as a performance coach 
into that environment when obviously we know within corporate wellness it's not really set up in that way as well yeah i mean i didn't really have a plan so i guess that maybe helped me so to speak because um you know i started out like i said i was i was a production manager mm -hmm. um and ran a team on the floor at, at the plant and um i just noticed that you know people weren't you know, warming up to do anything, they're just going to work. Um, so I simply started out as, you know, making a warm up routine during our, our pre shift meeting. So every day we had, you know, a five and a half to 10 minute meeting real quick of what the previous shift did, what our goals were, and what we had to accomplish during the shift from a production standpoint. And I just thought that that was a good opportunity. So I got the okay from my management to purchase bands and we basically made a warm-up program while doing this pre-shift meeting. So we used bands and they would do, you know, curls, squats, some shoulder press, uh, lateral raise and some tricep extensions and chest press. So just very basic movements, um, but just basically warming the body up before they go do their shift. Um, and people liked, um, you know, the background that I had, the employees thought that was cool. So I got some buy-in from, you know, having the background that I had. And I think that helped me quite a bit. Um, I was able to relate to the employees and talk to them and, and uh, get buy-in from them. Um, and then that helped me with getting buy-in from my upper management um, at the at the plant there. So that's kind of how it started. And then, you know, we just moved from there, like, hey, when, when people are hurt, you're outsourcing this to a PT, um, you know, clinic, going through workers' comp. Um, and then from there, it was just like, hey, I, I've never done this, but I've worked in PT and sports. Like, all we have to do is get relationships so I just reached out to some local, you know, PT clinics and started talking with them. We had them come in, look at our program, uh, look at the employees, and we ended up, you know, basically just contracting with one of those companies to come into the plant. Um, and they had their own room for treatments and stuff. And, you know, so when when people got injured or or even if they weren't injured but had you know um bumps and bruises stuff like that um they could go in and see them and the program just kind of kept evolving that way um it, it just worked out um i li literally had no plans you know no nothing really uh, just trying to help out and still had that passion and love for strength and conditioning and that's kind of been how my whole I guess career has kind of gone um, even within fire um, you know obviously wanting to try and help um, you know fellow firefighters and and people and now trying to really help educate fire as a whole on you know the problems and issues that we have so nice man and now obviously in the corporate sector like nice simple easy wins there you're saying about just implement something as simple as just like a little band warm-up before guys go and shift and stuff and then outsourcing for a pt to come in as well 
you know, what, what were the metrics you were tracking for that? You know, how were you measuring the impact you were having with regards to that warm up on, you know, injury rates and stuff like that? Was that something you were tracking or days lost? Yeah, it was hard because before I was there, nobody tracked, you know, anything. Um, HR um, obviously had information, but they, they, they couldn't share that with me due to, you know, HIPAA. Um, but basically the information that I was shared from the plant manager was, hey, we're, we're spending X amount of money on work comp injuries and we have, you know, X amount of days. Um, and, and, and those were really the, the things that we could look and track because we had that information previously. Um, and then obviously the, the people on the floor and the employees started giving feedback like, hey, you know, I feel better. I'm not getting injured as much. Um, and if I do get injured, you know, it's just something simple. I can go see the PT and I, I can continue to work. I'm not, you know, I'm not being taken out of work for an extended period of time to go, you know, see a doctor and see the PT. And so it was that kind of feedback that we got. And then over the next several years, um, we were able to track, you know, actual financial impacts. Um, and once the PT clinic um, contracted with us, they were able to start tracking all of the data from, you know, from the point that they came into the plant until um, I, I left uh, the company and went into fire. So. Um, you know, financially, obviously, they saved quite a bit of money. Um, at first, the plant that I was working at, we had 550 employees roughly on on the floor. Um, and the first in was it, I worked there for seven years. Um, and on average, um, we had about 10 days of people missing work due to work related injuries. Um, and that was just from what was being tracked, um, you know, at first. So I don't really know how much, um, I, I've always been curious because it was never being tracked or looked at um, other than from a financial standpoint, obviously the plant manager saying, hey, we're spending, you know, $180,000 on work-related injuries and work comp due to overuse injuries, but that's all the information that he had. Mm -hmm. um, so once the PT clinic came in and started contracting, they were able to actually get some hard numbers and, you know, on average from this specific, um, you know, working position in the plant, um, whether they were actually, you know, packaging the chips or working on the, you know, the frying line, um, whatever their specific job task was, they, they started to gather data and information on who was injured, how long they were out, um, and we were able to obviously have a pretty significant impact overall financially and then return to work um, was significantly, you know, um, period, that period was significantly shortened. Um, and it was, it was really cool to see um, that process, the employees' attitudes from, you know, being scared to go see a physical therapist to, hey, look, I, I did this, at, you know, I did this yesterday and it kind of hurt. Um, and they're actually coming to see you to, 
to get evaluated and say, hey, do these specific exercises and you should be okay. Or, hey, you know, this may be more serious and I might have to refer you to a doctor. Um, but the employee's mindset had changed from being scared and not wanting to tell anybody because they didn't want to miss work and get hurt. Um, so the whole culture had, you know, started to change basically. Mm -hmm. So. And then obviously you're saying you're in the fire service now. So when, when did that itch come about that you wanted to make the move from corporate wellness into a more active role, I'm guessing within the fire service then? Yeah. So, I mean, I'd always miss strength and conditioning, right? I mean, I miss being on the field and, and training the athletes. I always continue to lift myself and stay in shape. Um, you know, I don't play football and athletics anymore, so to speak, um, for teams, but I mountain bike, hike, snowboard, stay very active. You know, I, I lifting a lot and I missed all that. And, um, my, one of my wife's friends um, and her husband both were firefighters and we were barbecuing and hanging out. And uh, he, he was like, man, you would be great at firefighting. Like you have a pretty cool background. Like you, you already know a lot of the stuff that you need to know from a school standpoint, um, like come and do a ride along. So I went to his fire department um, and did a ride along with him for one day. Um, I was there for about eight and a half hours and, you know, I just was like, wow, this is really cool. I love this. Um, and that was kind of it. I, I literally started going to EMT school um, a month later at night. And so I would work my full-time corporate job, you know, 60 hours a week, still being on call 24 seven with a phone when, when stuff went bad. Um, and I started going to school at night. I got my EMT, um, and then I went directly into my Fire One certification. So I did that at night and then one day on the weekend. And once I got those two certifications, I started volunteering um, here at a, a local volunteer department um, that was about 40 minutes from my house. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I started volunteering. Um, you know, getting more certifications, actually doing the job. Um, I was volunteering on the weekends, obviously, when I wasn't working Monday through Friday. So I kind of went in, went all in um, and did everything I had to do. Um, and then I got my first full-time, like, paid career job um, about a year, a year and a half after, like, starting all this. Um, and... I've really enjoyed it. I've been doing it now five years, I guess, as a career be getting paid, um, seven years total. And uh, same thing, the, the fitness side of things, the tactical strength and conditioning, so to speak, um, just kind of fell into place. Um, I was always lifting and in, in good shape and guys around me on my crews were like, hey man, um, can you help me out? Can you make me a program? Um, and so, it just kind of, again, no plan. It just kind of, you know, evolved organically, so to speak, where I started getting involved um, at the fire departments that I worked at. Um, the first department that I worked at, like I said, was a volunteer department, um, pretty small, had about 25 career people and 25 volunteers. Um, they actually had a, a, a wellness program 
um, with, with guys that had pure fitness training and had previous, you know, um, personal training experience. Um, so even though it was a small department, they had at least some type of program. Um, and then when I got involved, I was able to help out, you know, we formed a committee, um, we started having monthly meetings, you know, we tried to get everybody, you know, at every level involved from a firefighter, paramedics, engineers, officers, um, chief officers, so that we could have everybody's input from, you know, every level from the department. Um, we started meeting and then we started having, you know, programs like, okay, this is much more than just lifting weights and staying in shape. Um, we need to look at this from like, you know, a holistic approach, um, not only from, from a fitness side, but also a cancer initiative as well as mental health. Um, so we started going down that road um, and getting, you know, support from um, the chief uh, and other chief officers um, to have that um, program, um, you know, getting EA, EAP support, um, counseling support. We had people go and get their, you know, counseling certifications so that we actually had, you know, in-house firefighters and paramedics, coworkers that were trained to help with, you know, calls and um, mental toughness, um, resiliency training, all the, all of these buzzwords now that are in, you know, fire and, and tactical strength and conditioning, so to speak. So um, it just all happened organically. I was able to do it at the, that department that I volunteered at. And then the first department that I got on with um, as a paid firefighter was very similar setup. It was a smaller organization about the same demographics 25 people that were career and about 25 that were volunteers. So it was a combination department. Um, they didn't have any um, program when I went there. So basically had to go through my probationary year. Um, and the chief knew from day one that I was in fitness and wanted to do something, but made me go through my probationary year and prove myself and work as a firefighter and all that. Um, and then that's that second year that I worked there um, I was able to kind of start the same type of program, got a, a wellness committee together, a prize from, you know, every level and all different people involved, started trying to really work on, on the fitness side, um, cancer initiative, and then mental health. And then um, now I've been on the department that I'm currently on for, for three years. And it's, uh, it's, it's a much different beast. Uh, a large department. Um, we have about 800 people total, um, with about 600, um, you know, online employees, firefighters, paramedics, officers, etc. Um, and uh, we actually have a a unique wellness program at my department now, um, set up more like a collegiate, you know, sport sport uh, program with physical therapist, uh, athletic trainers, strength coaches, um, and, uh, you know, pretty robust program. So um, currently there, I'm, I'm not really too involved. Um, it's, it's, it's been hard to kind of break in to, I guess, help out, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, because they have, you know, such a big staff. And um, 
I'm still helping out. I'm doing, you know, presentations, trying to to help educate. Um, you know, obviously my my crews that I work with in the firehouse, um, and then working a lot uh, on trying to really hit the cardiovascular health in firefighting, um, explaining the VO2 max test and how that is important. Um, my department, we do an annual VO2 max testing. Um, so there's a lot of people that don't really understand why we do that. Um, so I've been trying to work with my current department's um, wellness department and kind of be a liaison and be like, hey, look, I, I realize that I'm a I'm not a strength and conditioning coach here. I'm a firefighter, um, but I feel like I have, you know, a valid, valid uh, experience um, from strength and conditioning for the last 18 years, and now I've been a firefighter. So, trying to be a liaison, so to speak, between, you know, the fire side and the strength and conditioning side, and help out because the program's amazing, but no matter how amazing it is, there's always things you can do better. So that's currently kind of where I am with my current department and how I'm trying to help out. Um, and then, you know, obviously talking on, on podcasts to help educate and, and speak about the passion, um, you know, attending conferences and networking and, and keeping involved in strength and conditioning personally. Um, is basically kind of where I'm at in my career as far as strength and conditioning and fire. So, um, you know, trying to stay current with education. Um, I'm involved with the NSCA um, and, you know, certifications, education and all that kind of stuff. So currently I don't have a business. I don't have a plan and I'm just kind of literally, you know, seeing how things go and what happens and mm -hmm. um I you mean, know with that then as well jim because obviously you were saying you've done some work with regards to you know when you got in department the volunteer department you're at initially before coming to the department you're at now and you're still doing some work with the guys and in your department like on your crew and stuff as well like just advice and the education factor is a big one you like from charity you've pushed quite a lot and obviously you're saying that, you know, you, you're very much involved with the NSA at the state level as well, helping pawn like your talks and stuff within the conferences. <clears throat> with that, dude, you know, what, what, what do you see as being the big mistakes from, you know, your knowledge and your background walking in for, you know, the guys in department who've been coming up to chat to you or, you know, guys come and speak to you at conferences, you know, where do you feel? Where do you feel the mistakes are in program? Where do you feel the gaps are that need to be pushed a bit more as well? Yeah, I mean, for me, from my experience as a strength coach and, and a firefighter, and what I see in the industry is just um, overall lack of understanding and education on what types of programs we should actually be doing. So I think the biggest mistake that happens in fire is is overtraining. Um, so you know, a lot of type A personality, so to speak, in fire, very outgoing, very, um, you know, competitive, challenging type nature, um, which can be good, um, but also understanding that when you work out, it doesn't have to be, you know, balls to the wall, um, some crazy workout every single session. 
and that you know you should have goals when you go to the gym uh and it's not just you know a, a crossfit workout of the day the murph whatever it is right like it literally has to be a programmed event um with a goal in mind and i think that's overall in fire is what i've seen obviously not knowing anything about fire and coming into fire as an outsider so to speak um, and then from, you know, a professional strength and conditioning career, you know, looking at it is, you know, overtraining, not doing the right training. And the biggest thing for me is lack of education. People just, they don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that's kind of my focus right now is trying to help educate not only my department, but, you know, um, fire, you know, industry in general on we should be training um and i don't have anything against crossfit um but from a professional strength and conditioning standpoint and an athletic standpoint um like crossfit's not really you know what firefighters should be doing in my professional and personal opinion um i think circuit training is great um and do and and again crossfit's not bad but um you know a lot of people don't have the form, proper mechanics. And then of course you just load people up with weights and it's just a disaster. So um, just proper programming, making sure that you're not overtraining and having a goal in mind um, is what I would say a generality <laughs> of training uh, in the fire service needs to at least start there um, would, would be a good approach. Nice one, nice one. I know you were saying before that you push it quite heavily from the the cardiovascular standpoint as well, just because of all those additional benefits and within that as well. So that's something you typically find with the guys, like even though they'll they'll train hard, there might be that neglect on the CV side as opposed to just uh, jack and steel and getting big. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously you know, I think being strong is one of the the you know the the most crucial things in fire, right? Um, I think having a a big you know, base of strength is going to help not only, you know, reduce injury rates, um, but also help, you know, job performance. But if you look at statistically, you know, in the fire service, the number one line of duty death is sudden cardiac death. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of guys will train, but they're not training appropriately for cardiovascular fitness, right? They don't know where their heart rate zones are. They don't know what training zones are. Um, They just go and do some type of cardio, um, whether that's interval training, uh, CrossFit, workout of the day again. Um, So people are training, but they're not training appropriately. Um, And if you're going to spend the time to go to the gym for an hour, um, you know, I think that as strength and conditioning professionals, we need to educate people on the types of training they should be doing. you know, cardiovascular death, not only in the fire service, but also in the general population now um, is, is a huge problem. Um, you know, overweight, out of shape, all of those things in the general population are true in, in fire as well. Um, if you look at, uh, I, don't, I don't have the quote right here off, um, but doing all the research that I've done and a lot of the presentations I've done on cardiovascular health, you know, 70% of the fire, 
services overweight and obese. Um, and that doesn't help with cardiovascular disease and sudden cardiac death from, from training or from, from working on the fire ground. So um, as a strength and conditioning professional and firefighter, um, you know, it saddens me that the, the line of duty death, you know, I would say is mostly preventable for, you know, sudden cardiac death, right? There's some small percentage of possible, you know, genetic and hereditary issues, but most of it is, you know, lack of proper diet, lack of proper training, um, and then the choices that people tend to, to make. Um, so I think that overall, the number one killer of fire um, fighters is, is preventable in my mind as a strength coach and a firefighter. Mm -hmm. So it's disheartening because like we're killing so many people um, and it, it's mostly preventable, so. And I mean, obviously like you say, it's just trying to get that message across to people and just like, um, sometimes it's hard to change some dogma within some people, you know, they've got their beliefs around trend and stuff. And yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's a slow process, but it's just that, that persistence within I'm guessing as well, that's a big thing. I know um, from chatting to you as well, Jim, you know, you, you're you very active in the community, you know, you, you're out presenting with NSA and stuff as well, like from the chats we've had, you know, you've given me some great resources around like research and stuff as well. And it's one of the things I'll always ask every guest I have on, dude, is just, you know, what, what are they involved in with their own education and development? So on that, dude, could you give us a, a book, an app or a website you personally found useful for your own education or your own development? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is I'm a huge proponent of the NSCA. So I read, you know, all the TSAC journals, um, a lot of the strength and conditioning journals as well. Um, I, I like to make sure that I'm reading, you know, scientific data driven articles. Um, and I just find that the NSCA um, just has a the, I think the biggest um, resource library from that standpoint. So I use the NSCA a lot. Um, I also read, you know, other, you know, American College of uh, ACSM, um, but I try and stick to more scientific and data-driven research um, so that it's proven and it's not just opinion. Um, so mainly the NSCA, um, I guess is the major, major one for me. Cool. cool, man. I'll make sure I'll pop in our show notes. Uh, obviously, Jim, it's been awesome to get a date lined up and actually sit down and chat to you, dude. Um, you know, for anyone who's listening to this, who, you know, wants to pick your brain a bit more on some of the work you're doing, you know, um, with what you've done previously within the, the volunteer and like with some of your crew guys now with the fire department or you know, um, with regards to some of your presentation work as well, you know, what's the best way they can get in touch with you regarding that? Yeah, I think the best way is just through my LinkedIn um, profile, uh, as well as just personal email. Um, I don't, I don't do Instagram and all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, too busy with my, my kids. I got a two and four year old. So <laughs> I've got a lot of time to, uh, 
to do other stuff. But uh, yeah, LinkedIn and my personal email is probably the best um, way to get a hold of me. So that's cool. That's cool, man. I'll make sure I put connections with both of them into our show notes as well, dude. So if anyone's listening and they want to reach out, they can get straight in touch with you. Okay. Yeah, that's that's great. I thank you. Uh, it's been it's been good to to connect and touch base. Um, and you know, thanks for your time to set this up and talk with me. I've I've enjoyed it. I appreciate it a lot. And no problem, Jim. Thank you very much, Russell, for reaching out, dude, and you know, taking the time. I know you've got a little bit of time on your hands at the moment, just going through your rehab process. But you know, it's uh, usually quite full on for you with your your work and your family life and stuff. So thank you very much, mate, for taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. Hi, guys. Really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I just wanted to say thank you for your continued support to the show. We're slowly growing each week and getting more and more downloads, which is truly incredible for such a niche-specific podcast. The continued support in us can ask you to do me a simple favor. First of all, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're using so you can receive each new episode as soon as it's released. Secondly, if you found something educational, if it made you see a different perspective, or if you took something away from this podcast that made you better, please leave us a review as it means a lot to me, and please share the show. This will help us to grow the show and really get this information out to a lot more people.